electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan in today for Scott Wapner. Front and center at this hour, your September playbook. It is September 1st. The unemployment rate jumping to its highest level in more than a year. Will the Fed hold rates steady as a result? The committee is here to debate the path ahead for your money and the best place to be right now. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, and Rob Seachin. Let's get you a quick check on the markets. I would say modestly mixed here today. The Nasdaq composite down just a bit by about a third of a percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average just about flat, very close to in the S&P 500, also uh, trending around that direction as well. It's uh, been quite a busy month, the month of August, which has now been closed out, of course, as we start October, or, sorry, September 1st. I'm getting way too far in front of myself. Mm-hmm. But the VIX is pretty low, trading just above 13. WTI, though, averaging about $85, which I guess makes some sense seeing energy is the leading sector here today, then materials and financials with consumer staples and discretionary sort of pulling up, uh, pulling up the, the end here. But Stephanie, what do you make of of this Goldilocks jobs report that we got today. Does that mean the Fed has done a good job and their job is done? Do we hold from here? It's either high for longer or higher for longer, right, okay. depending on what the Fed does. I thought that the non-farm payroll numbers, it was a good, pretty good report mm-hmm. um, in terms of making progress for the Fed, right? Um, the uh, ADP also confirmed that. Jolts was weaker than expected, so that also confirmed that we're seeing a little bit of an easing in the labor market. That being said, initial claims, they are a leading indicator. And the four-week moving average is a 237,000 jobs, initial claims, Mm. right? So during recessionary times, that number, a four-week moving average on initial claims, usually gets as high as 350 to 375,000. So we are a far cry from really slowing down and into more of a recessionary level. That being said, in addition, Average hourly earnings today was up 4.3%, the core PCE at 4.2%. So to answer your question, the Fed is not, they may be done on raising, but there's no way that they're going to start to ease when their target on inflation is 2% and you have a four handle on many of the, the readings that they actually care about. I actually have been very encouraged over the last couple of weeks, just overall on the markets, that we've seen a broadening out. Uh, energy, for example, I know we're going to talk about energy later, but energy, the last month, has outperformed tech by 770 basis points. Mm. Industrials have beaten tech in the past month by 200 basis points. So we are seeing a broadening out, and I think that's a function of earnings coming in better than expected. I think earnings have troughed, and we are going to see a recovery into the second the later part of this year and into next year. Um, and, and I think that's encouraging. So, yeah, okay, we can call it Goldilocks today, but I don't think much changes on the surface in terms of the Fed and homework to do 
but I do see opportunities. Okay. Jim, what do you think of this number? It seems like the markets are pretty happy with what it, where it came in, where bad news when you're talking about unemployed Americans is good news for the market. Yeah, I like the tone you're using. It. I mean, you're having a hard time saying it. I'm having a hard yeah. time saying it, too, because the unemployment rate did pick up three-tenths of a percent, mostly because the labor force participation rate picked up, which is a good thing. But let's just be careful. I think that's where your sort of mm-hmm. concern is, and I feel it, too. Let's be careful. You like a report like this that gets the Fed to maybe back off a little bit, but you don't want this sort of trend to continue. By the way, as much as the overall headline number came in better than expectations, there was 110,000 uh, jobs uh, lost on the, on the revision. So, yeah, I have a hard time calling this Goldilocks because there were some warts in here. You know, all that said, I think Steph's really kind of put her finger on the core of this, that the market is looking at earnings. And it's looking at next, it's starting to look at next year's earnings and sure. saying, look, 11, 12% growth in S&P 500 earnings is very makeable. Now, having said that, I think we're set up for a two-step dance here in the markets. I think you're going to have a face-ripping fourth-quarter rally as the market gets through conference season and pre-announcement season in September and comes to be more comfortable on that. But I think when people come back from vacation next week, they're going to be a little focused on what is the state of the consumer right now. Steph, I hear you on jobless claims. Totally hear you. On the other hand, you had those ugly retail reports. Um, you know, we, we do expect that higher interest rates are going to have an effect, whether it's mortgages, auto loans, credit cards, everything. Um, there is reason to think that maybe the consumer is going to slow down a little bit, run through that excess spending. So I would expect uh, uh, September seasonality take take effect. But boy, am I going to be positioned for fourth quarter to be all in and just let this this market rip. Those personal income numbers yesterday were really quite strong. I mean, spending like crazy, right? but, but we are how a nation long can of they spend- keep doing it? We are a nation of spenders, whether we have the cash or we want to take on the debt. Yeah. It's hard to bet against the consumer. Yeah, Visa said the volume was up in August from July as well. Right. So we're talking about more spending on credit, too, which also can be concerning to some degree. I sure. mean, Rob, Jim brought up seasonality and bespoke investments actually said don't fear seasonality seasonality because of where we are right now with the S&P 500 when you're up double digits year to date through August. The performance in September actually is pretty good. 59% of the time we're positive. Where do you think we are setting up for equities for the back half of the year, the last four months of the year at this point? You know, we think it, it, it depends. I think the Fed has done a nice job tiptoeing through the tulips, but you have to make sure that this normalization that we're seeing does not turn into something worse. And I think that's mm-hmm. what Jimmy what Jimmy was saying. And that's predicated on how strong the jobs market is. It's not just that we have a strong consumer because they had excess savings, because asset prices are up. It's because they have jobs and they're, and they're spending on a month-to-month basis. So we'll continue to watch that. I also think you have to continue to watch as as markets test these new, uh, retest their prior highs, whether they're, they're able to break through. And I think that's going to be a function of whether we continue to see earnings revisions on a positive trajectory and we continue to see economic strength. And uh, that's yet to be seen. Uh, I think we've seen it, but how can it, conti- can it continue? And so I don't think we know the back half of the year. I think we know that a recession has at least been delayed. I don't think we're going to see a recession in 23. The possibility is there in 24. And if you start to see a rollover of these things, valuations are relatively high. And so you've got to be mindful of that. So we're not negative by any means. We're invested. We kind of expect a period of chop and then we'll see. Um, Jimmy expects a period of chop and then maybe a face ripper rally. I heard him say earlier. 
It's going to be breathtaking. <laughs> it's going to be breathtaking. That's we hope you're right, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bank of America sell side indicator is still more bearish than bullish, sort of two times closer to a contrarian buy signal than a sell signal. Jim? Well, uh, l listen, I talked about seasonality. And, uh, you know, maybe, the, who was it, Bespoke, you said? Yes. You know, maybe they're right, and I'm fine if they're right. I mean, I've got 10% cash, so I'm 90% invested, right? I really don't want the market going down hard. But the other sort of seasonality pattern here, in my own experience, when you have a market that's up as big as this is, and you get into the fourth quarter, it usually crescendos in a positive way. People chase performance. Yep. And we know there's a lot of people who went into this year feeling that there was going to be a recession and retest those October lows. I, I mean, I was very adamant that I didn't think those two things were going to happen. So I'm not feeling like many people probably are of, holy smokes, how am I going to catch up to this? When September 30th hits around and you're in the final quarter, you're <laughs> on the home stretch, you got to get invested. And I think that's why you're going to have that face ripping rally. So where? What, what rallies? Well, and Steph pointed this out. I love the broadening of the market right now. I don't think this is something where, you know, tech all of a sudden, you know, falls through a trap door in the floor. That's not what I'm saying at all. But um, based on the profit growth that we're talking about, based on the, what we're seeing in economic growth, uh, the very strong GDP growth, I think you can look outside of tech for better returns, the cyclical names, energy. You know, energy has been consolidating. We'll talk about that in a minute. I know that. But energy is a place. Industrials continues to interest, as does material. But tech is leading this year. If you don't think it's going to fall through a trap door, does it still have room to run? Should you not be looking there? Well, I, you know, I think basically what I'm saying is how you weight the portfolio. Okay. I, you know, could could NVIDIA continue to run? I mean, what's it up? 300%, 200%, whatever, some huge number. Of course it could, but at some point there's likely to be some profit taking. You know, the other names, whether it's Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, they're up pretty big too. And I think all you need is a little spark from the cyclicals. You know, perhaps in September, some cyclical names come out and say, hey, you know, things are doing a little bit better than the market thinks. And I think people will see, wait a second, look at those valuations. We don't have to ring our hand about the valuations in those more cyclical sectors. It's an easy place to invest as long as you get the recognition that there's no recession afoot. I think you want to have technology exposure, but to have 35% of your portfolio, which is the weighting if you add in comm services, that's that's a risk if you want to take that risk, right? I mean, that's not something I'm comfortable with. That doesn't mean that I don't want to have a lot large positions in some of the companies that I own. I do, mm -hmm. um, but I think 35% is a lot to have in your portfolio within tech and comm services. But I do think total addressable markets, we talk about it all the time. It's super powerful, right? It's AI, it's cloud, it's data center, it's cybersecurity. And I think on any weakness that we've just seen actually mm. prior to this last two weeks, when you had a drawdown, you have to look for opportunities. And I think there are a lot out there on sale. You don't have to chase in this market. But at the same time, the broadening is very encouraging. And especially on the industrial side, you mm. wouldn't think that the well, industrials well, well, it should well. It should be happening, though, right? Because well, no, onshoring and aviation, right? those are two big, big themes, okay? But right. I think across, the, you're seeing better results across the board because these companies have gotten so lean and mean and they've restructured over the last three or four years so the margins have held up but it's surprising at how much they've how well they've done i'm there i'm yeah, i'm 1100 basis points overweight industrial so i'm there <laughs> rob you've been trimming tech though we have been trimming tech modestly, and it's it, it's pr completely price based. It's what it's what Stephanie said. How far do you want to ride these multiples up? When Apple got over thirty, we trimmed it. Microsoft over thirty, we trimmed it. Now you, you look at the constituency of these in the indices. So saying you're neutral weight, 
means in the Russell 1000 growth, sometimes you're saying 13 and 10 percent weightings in these positions. So they're, they're still pretty sizable. They're, they're pretty meaningful. But what bets do you want to make relative to the indices to try to get some outperformance? And I think there's certain parts within tech that have that have lagged. We're going to talk about Broadcom. Steph, Steph bought it here to, uh, today. We've owned it for a bit. It's a great way to play AI in, in a, a less expensive way. Do you have to chase NVIDIA? Maybe not. That's uh, that's obviously a darling. So when you look at where you can buy outside of the megas, you strip them out and the market's not that expensive relative to history. It's fully valued. It's not that expensive relative to history. So on a PE basis, at 17. They're in the high 20s. It's really hard for us to chase up there. So we've been very surgical and selective. Tech is an overweight. For us, but we're trimming within tech. We also uh, love energy and healthcare. Good context for that. We're going to stick with tech actually and get to our chart of the day. Shares of Dell surging after beating the street on earnings and raising its forecast. Our Christina Parts and Evelis. I say that so well all the time. Why did I just stumble? Parts and Evelis. Thirteen letters. It's hard. So many letters. <laughs> Joins us here at Post Nine with more. So what's what's driving really the resurgence besides just the quarter? I mean, what's included in the forecast I, for Dell? I would actually just break it down into two categories for okay. Dell. First, you you have the narrow that it's on the mend and you're seeing a stabilization with PCs and that's something that really surprised a lot of investors with their earnings report yesterday they beat across the board but the second part is the AI acceleration that Finally, numbers are starting to show. Dells did say that they had $2 billion in backlog uh, specifically related to AI. This is seen as fi- money out there. And so many of these companies in the last quarter, previous quarter, they mentioned AI a zillion times, but then we're not actually seeing tangible results. Not everybody is like NVIDIA where they can raise and raise their guidance, beat on earnings. Uh, Ambarella is another chip name where, you know, AI was the play, but yet the stock plunged because you're not seeing the actual results. So for Dell, it's those two things, the fact that the PC market is on the mend, and almost yesterday, Intel CEO kind of saying the same thing. Hmm. He reiterated that we're going to hit their midpoint in guidance, so that seemed as good for compute, good for AMD. And then the second part is they have a massive backlog, $2 billion within AI for Dell. Wow. And the stock is up, what, 20, uh, 21% right now. Uh, it's trading at uh, a PE, 4P of about 20 times, which is uh, still a little bit more than HPQ, but uh, the ticker, because they confuse a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. That is very confusing. Okay, so educate me a little bit on what is Dell doing exactly in AI? Like you said, everyone's bringing it up a zillion times over, but what are they doing? What's so special about their move? Their servers are, are the ones that are geared towards AI actually have GPUs in them. So okay. that's, that, that's why it's so specific. And the other thing is it's incremental. So it's $2 billion in incremental uh, backlog, which shouldn't cannibalize their Mm. other servers. That's always been the big concern. Is it an AI beneficiary or an AI victim? In this case, beneficiary. Hmm. Very interesting. I I thought there were no AI victims. I've never heard somebody (laughs) say we're going to be an AI victim. I heard, heard, uh, unfortunately, lawyers might be a victim. That's a whole conversation. Possible. Actors think they might be uh, victims, too, I guess. Uh, Steph, I understand that you're not in Dell, but you bought more Broadcom. Is it because of the AI play? Well, I bought... I bought more CDW on the Dell um, on the Dell News. Okay. Sure, because PCs were a billion dollars more it. than they expected, and CDW 
BMW has 30% of their exposure is in PCs. Got it. So that, to me, is kind of off the radar. Mm. You know, it's not a fang. It's not this glamorous (laughs) name. But they're doing all the right things. They've got a great business mix in terms of their customers and their clientele. We heard last quarter from AMD and Intel about PCs starting to bottom. And that's what kind of piqued my interest last quarter. And then more conviction, obviously, from the news today. Mm. So I think that one is uh, the, the setup is actually really good. And I also like the fact that they are mixing their, they're changing their mix and their revenues to software and services as well. So you have better margins and mm-hmm. really strong free cash flow. So I like that story a lot. Yeah, Broadcom down 6%. I think it's silly. But that being said, this stock re-rated with all of the other AI names, right? At the beginning of the year, the stock was trading at 14 times. It trades at 21 times now. However, they've actually raised guidance yesterday for the AI component. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go from 10% in AI um, exposed exposure to 25%, maybe even more than 25% next year. That's a big move. That's 4 billion to 8 billion. And the stock is trading at 20, 21 times when you have NVIDIA and the peers are trading 29 to 35 times. So I think today I've owned it for a long time like Rob, but I just think it's down 6%. You're getting a gift. Christina, you've helped me sort of understand what's going on here in the chip space and particularly with AI. Why is Broadcom down then if they're if they're forecasting such a big growth in this sector? Well, two things. You, well, you talked about there's so much going into the print. The yeah. stock hit a 52 week high just yesterday, right? It's been a positive for the last 11 months out of 12. So this is a, an AI darling that, you know, wasn't NVIDIA. People were buying it. The other thing is the near-term headwinds that still exist for Broadcom. They are highly diversified, but yesterday on the call, they mentioned that wireless, okay, fine, wireless is stable, but storage going to be a little bit weaker. If you extract AI from Broadcom's numbers, you had uh, the Hawk 10, the CEO, say that they expect semiconductor revenue to be flat for the year. Mm. So these are things that you can't ignore. And th- that's maybe the, the conundrum that maybe investors are at now. Do we buy in on the near-term future of AI revenues that are supposed to be coming through, and, and we're seeing that slowly w- with uh, Broadcom, like you said, 25% of a fiscal 2024 revenue, or do we get out because right now they're still facing some weakness that is not, you know, we're IT spending starting to be a little bit more robust. And I do want to correct myself because I said Dell uh, was 20 times and that was Broadcom. Uh, Dell is 12 times for, for evaluation. But uh, yeah, just to that point. So that's And it's not a perfect story, Broadcom, right? I, I get it. There are some near-term headwinds, but at the same time, they have world-class EBITDA margins at 65%. Can you imagine what those margins are going to go when actually other parts of the business start to recover? So they're not immune to enterprise weakness. Everyone's seeing they're, that. They're the industry leader. That's right. In fact, World in, class. in that space. Well, I think they're the second largest uh, in the world at doing what they do. Um, you know, yes, they're down six. You said six percent today. Right. They yes. were up four percent yesterday. They've had, <laughs> they've had a two percent give back off their 52 week high. I would say that's a modest digestion. And this company's business is clearly redirecting to AI. I would say they have huge AI optionality, as uh, as Steph just pointed out with the percentage of their revenues that are going to be driven by AI-based businesses. So they have a solid foundation, solid base from which to resurrect this story. And that's been done countless times. And you can you, you can certainly buy it a lot cheaper than NVIDIA. NVIDIA just keeps raising the bar again and again and again. And at some point, even the best athletes in the world have trouble g- getting over the highest bars. Very interesting. And you own Broadcom. We did. Okay. We do. 
you, so you know. like VMware too. That acquisition should also help the software side. Mm-hmm. Closing at the end of October. That's what was reiterated on the call it's yesterday. It's like $55 earnings power over the over 24. It's, it's 25, it's incredible 24, 25. What it could do. It's yeah. big. It's really it's really big. So I just think it's today. Okay, fine. You know what? Sell off and give me the opportunity to make it even bigger. Because I actually did take profits a couple of months ago mm-hmm. when it was at its all time high. So mm-hmm. buy it back. Fascinating stuff happening in the chip space. Christina Parsonellis, thank you for joining us. Appreciate (laughs) it very much. Okay, we've got some more committee moves we want to make sure to hit. Steph, you bought Amazon. (laughs) Why now? What do you like about it? I know I'm not early, and that's kind of rare for me. Um, But the stock is still down 25% from its highs, right? And it trades now, though, to me, at a more reasonable valuation um, at 40 times. We talk about Costco all the time and how it's at 38 times and it consistently trades that, at that level. It's a compounder, and that's, that, that's the way I'm viewing Amazon. It's a compounder, right? But they're also getting their acts together in AWS. Mm-hmm. AWS seems to have stabilized at about 12% growth last quarter versus 11% the prior quarter. Um, they have easy comps mm-hmm. in AWS going forward. Uh, margins are actually solid and strong. Uh, and retail is accelerating, and, and, that's, ex- and that's exciting to me. They're, they've gotten through kind of the, 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 the cost situation, um, the fulfillment issues, um, the supply chains. Hmm. So I think that you're going to see operating leverage at this company um, over the next couple of years. And at the same time, they're lowering uh, OPEX. And so I didn't want to miss out, even though I missed a lot of the move, I don't want to miss out going forward because I think there's a lot more upside from here. It makes a lot of sense. You can't get them all, always right right on time, but hey, better late than never, maybe. Don't Jim? do that, Steph. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> what do you mean you're not early? Look, the stock, this, I find this incredible. And, and Steph and I were talking about this earlier, and I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Let's put it that hmm. way. But three-year annualized return on Amazon shares is down 6% annualized, so it's down 20%. Over the yeah. last three years, and I ask rhetorically, you don't have to answer this because I know your answer. Is this a better company than it was three years ago? Right. right. So, I mean, I'm looking at the figures. Over the last three years, they've grown revenue by 22% per annum, EBITDA by 15%. And as we were talking about, as you well know, I mean, they could just cut down the R&D and new ventures, and, and that multiple 44 I see on next year's earnings would get cut uh, quite a bit. So, good for you for taking the plunge. Don't don't be negative on yourself ever. There's no reason <laughs> yeah, to. You can always stay and, humble. Um, always I'm, stay humble. I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. You hear the passion in my voice, so uh, stay tuned. I'm also impressed with the free cash flow, too, right? I mean, $6.1 billion last quarter. It was like the best in three years, yeah. a non-fourth quarter. It's best oh, right. in three non-fourth years, quarter, right? right? So I, I don't know. Look, I, I just, uh, we'll see. Yeah, Going we're, we're going to follow that one closely. And, and Rob, you bought Skyworks Solutions. What's What do you like in we there? We did. Skyworks Solutions and Baba, actually, mm. playing off uh, mm. playing off what, what Steph did. Uh, you know, China looks like a great contrarian play, and Baba's a very cheap way to play yep. to play that space. In terms of Sky, uh, you know, Skyworks, they're in every smartphone in the world, and they've been re-rated by roughly... 50%. And so we think, you know, this is an example where you can buy something that has attractive demographic characteristics at, you know, reasonable valuations. And that's how that's how we're thinking about it. Really that simple. Same thing with Baba. And did you sell something to make that purchase? Uh, we did. What did we sell? Um, I think you sold Principal Financial Group. We did. I, I did. <laughs> Someone tells me. Thank you. I think Thank that you. was it. That's awesome. Really no reason. It's that we were looking for something to sell. It met some of our quantitative metrics to get out of it, and we wanted to buy these names sure. on the re-ration. Fair enough. And I should ask you the same questions. Yeah. How did you fund your Amazon? Yeah, Procter & Gamble and Keurig. Hmm. So I like them very much, but... 
On the consumer side, I see way more upside for Amazon. All right. Got it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, stay with us because the retail roundup is up next. We're seeing a pop for Lululemon. More downgrades for Dollar General. The committee debates the state of the consumer. That's coming up. Halftime is back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Shares of Lululemon hitting highs not seen since last April after yesterday's strong second quarter report. The athleisure retailer boosting guidance on its growth in China business and really growth all around. That stock now tracking for its sixth straight day of gains. Stephanie, I want to start with you, but I want to read this quote from Jeffrey. So many of the analysts obviously very bullish on Lululemon, but this really stood out to me. Uh, Jeffrey's, I believe this is Randall Koenig saying, the reality here is that the brand being Lulu is as strong as it's going to be. While the belt bag tailwind will become a headwind, the U.S consumer is slowing, China growth could be uneven, and Lulu isn't Nike and never will be. Yet its market cap is a third of Nike, which makes no sense to us. You own Nike. What do you make of Nike, Lululemon, and the commentary from Jeffries here? It's rare that Nike trades at a discount to Lululemon, and that is the the occurrence right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That being said, this was a phenomenal report. 11 11 comp, 13 constant currency comp, DTC up 15%, China up 61%. So for, for those of you that have heard me say the China consumer is on its way back, this is actually confirmation of that, and I have been on that theme for a really long time, pretty much all year, that I think that the reopening is going to help the Chinese consumer, and that's to your, probably your baba buy, right, as well. Um, but I think Nike has earnings power of something like $6.50 over the next couple of years, and a lot of that is really just margin. A lot of that is freight costs coming down, better pricing, better inventory control. And so I like this name. It's not cheap. It's never cheap. It's another compounder. But I do like their positioning, and I like the fact that they have 15% exposure in China. So they should benefit as well as the consumer does recover there. The number's obviously phenomenal growth, as you point out, in the United States and China specifically. However, the growth rates did slow from last quarter in China from, I think, 79% growth to 61 Does that concern you at all? Mm, no. no. I think it's a little lumpy. I, you know, I, I was also very impressed with the gross margins. You saw those mm. gross margins. Oh, yeah, 58.8. I mean, were, I right? Yeah. I mean, huge, just huge. They're, they're just killing it. They really yeah. are. But you're paying a multiple 
available for it. So sure. you have to decide what you want. And for me, you know, I can only own so many of these Amazons of the world. So I am more valuation centric. And even though this is expensive, it's, it's definitely cheaper than it has been historically. Jim, I, I understand you might be interested in Nike, not so much Lulu. Why? Uh, well, I run a concentrated portfolio. Sure. So first off, I'm very light in retail right now. I am looking. But as I said earlier, I think that the sentiment in the market about the consumer is likely to falter in September. So I'm not going to rush in here. But if I've got to choose in a concentrated portfolio between Nike and Lululemon, it's really a no-brainer for me to go with a Nike. I have nothing negative to say about Lululemon. I, actually, the multiple looks a lot better than it has in many years. It's a fine business. Um, but just if you're, if you're going to be concentrated, you want to go for the best in the industry, and that would be Nike. What I've been saying is another 10% lower from here. Get this at a mid-20s uh, forward multiple. That's a very attractive price to get this. Now, maybe that comes because, who knows, maybe China, some bad data comes out and the market weakens on that. Or, as I said, worries about the consumer, uh, credit card delinquencies, credit card uh, overall balances. Something's likely to happen in the next couple of weeks to give me a shot at that apple. You know what's interesting? Lulu had zero mentions of shrink. I know. Zero. Yeah. And that's remarkable. That that was that was interesting. Some of these stronger retailers didn't. Abercrombie also did not mention no. shrink. And I asked the CEO about it specifically, and she said it's not really an issue for them, mm. which which is fascinating. It is. But Rob, where do you sit right now in the state of the U.S. consumer and then the, the retail players, of course, that are catering there? I am starting to get a little worried about the impact of student loans. I think it's ironic timing mm -hmm. that the student loan resumptions, the payments are coming right as many of these mm -hmm. people with student loans have children that they're also sending back to school and right. buying their back to school items. It just feels like the psyche of knowing you have another payment when you're already dealing with high inflation is, is rough on consumers. And I worry about the impact for retailers. Are you there? We, we are. Um, we're in retail, but albeit very differently. We're in defensive retail. We own the O'Reilly's, the AutoZones, the Lowe's, the Home Depot's, which have demographic trends in place that are very powerful, whether it be the trade down by keeping your car longer and fixing it or staying in your existing house and in fixing it up. So when you look at our basket versus the TRT, the retail basket, we're down 1% versus down 9 for that index. And principally that's because we see fraying with low-end consumers. You saw it in Dollar General. You're seeing it in all parts of the, uh, in all parts of this uh, this market. And the days of the consumer being flushed with cash mm -hmm. are over. Right. They're over, and so you got to pay attention to the jobs market, and it seems like there's at least a little weakening at the low end because of inflation as it relates to their spending. That's also where you see a lot of the shrink in those That's type true. of stores. So, you know, Lululemon has a different demographic that they sell into than maybe Dollar General mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. right? I think Target and Walmart are taking share from Dollar General and Dollar Tree. I think so, too. And it seems like it's the opposite from 2008, 2009. Oh, yeah. If you remember that Walmart was losing share to some of the dollar stores with some of the fill-in trips that they were picking up mm -hmm. that Walmart was missing out on. So I find that kind of interesting yeah, as well. The dynamic has changed. Well, thank you all. Let's move on and get the headlines with Seema Modi. Hi, Seema. Hey, Courtney. Great discussion right there. Here's a news update at this hour. Starting in Russia, where President Vladimir Putin announced today that he plans to take $20 billion from the country's budget to develop the four Ukrainian regions that Moscow has declared as part of its territory. Russia does not control entirely any of those regions, and its annexation has not been recognized by more than 75% of UN member countries. 
Dock workers have ratified a new six-year contract that covers about 22,000 union members or 29 ports on the West Coast from California to Washington State. This ends more than a year of uncertainty for cargo that flows through some of the nation's busiest shipping gateways. And Tesla is cutting prices on the Model S and X again and is reducing the price of its full self-driving feature by three to $12,000. Tesla also unveiling the first revamp of its popular Model 3 sedan today. It will be sold in China first, which I found interesting, and has a sleeker look and longer range, along with an updated touchscreen, lighting, and sound system. Court, back to you. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. Well, coming up, we'll hit a few calls of the day in the energy space, including an upgrade for one stock JP Morgan thinks is too cheap to ignore. The trade is coming up on Halftime. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back on halftime with our calls of the day. Let's start with the valet upgraded to overweight at J.P. Morgan. The analyst says the stock is now cheap and the time has come. Stephanie, you previously owned this. Do you wish you still did or are you okay with the position out of it? I'm good. I'm okay. really good. Um, the transparency is hard with valet. Mm. Um, and the translation is also hard in, as well to to kind of understand hmm. and get the tone set hmm. from the company. Um, I, I believe iron ore certainly is uh, it's a tight market. It can go higher, but I prefer copper. I think the supply de- uh, the supply demand dynamics are much more favorable. And for every 10% change in the price of copper, that's 12% to EBITDA, hmm. one way or the other, hmm. right? Up sure. and down. Sure. So it's very it's very tied to the underlying commodity. Um, but I like what they've been doing in terms of free cash flow generation, paying down debt, and I, I like the diversification in terms of where they're where they have presence 40 percent is in the America, North America 29 percent is in South America of course they do have Grassburg um, and that's a big exposure for them but they're making progress there as well and I just think it's really hard to get copper and so that's a good favorable um, tailwind for them and it goes into EVs and it goes into housing and it goes into a lot of things sure Jim, we all know you own Cleveland Cliffs. You're not in ballet, but what do you make of this one? Well, I, I, I like the call. I okay. agree with the call. And I think this is a, a simple way to look at this is ask yourself where we are in the cycle. I know there are a lot of people at the beginning of this year who thought that the cycle was over and prices were going to collapse. And some of those people, Courtney, are looking at hot rolled, hot rolled coil steel prices right now, and they're saying that's it, the cycle's over. I don't think for a second that's what's going on. I think this is just a little downturn in what to me is clearly an upside whether it's copper or steel, it doesn't really matter to me. That upcycle is going to be predicated on supply chain onshoring. We all know all the, the uh, semiconductor plants, EV battery plants that are being built. But infrastructure spending, the three bills that we've had over the last two years, are really only scheduled to start hitting next year. And that's meaningful construction. That's, that's where the cycle is going. The next two years, we're in a good spot for the cycle. Whether it's Valet, whether it's Cleveland Cliffs, copper, steel, I really don't care. You're in a good place for cyclical. And, and base metals. 
We're going to move on to energy. It is the sector leading the way here today, up about 2%. Uh, we're, we're getting some upgrades, of course, reiterated at Goldman Sachs, Chevron, ConocoPhillips. They're saying that the super majors, well positioned in this environment. Rob, you own Conoco, so I guess you agree with this upgrade. We do. We, we like energy across the board for, for a number of reasons. Positioning was wildly against it, continued to be wildly against it all year. It's a real geopolitical hedge. It's also a great way to play, you know, the cyclical uh, d- stimulus in, in, in China. This is probably one of the best positioned in, in the group. They've had nice production growth across the board, strong free cash flow generation, more of a true EMP than an integrated operator. But the company continues to, dis- uh, to, to show discipline in terms of capital allocation, improving their credit profile, and it's not that not that expensive, like every energy is not that expensive. Everybody seems to love energy. Jim, you've got some, too. I, I am overweight energy meaningfully. I think there's a lot of powerful forces that are going to move energy prices higher in the stocks with them. The stocks, by the way, Courtney, I think have just spent most of this last year uh, consolidating, and now they're breaking out. That's a classic pattern. But the fundamental reasons we need to fill the strategic petroleum reserve, mm. China demand, it's hard to see it getting worse. Now, you know, famous last words, but it's hard <laughs> to see it getting worse. But where I think the real interest is, is people talk about crude oil, but they miss the fact that natural gas is starting to show signs of life. And it's probably likely to continue. I don't think that Europe has solved uh, this winter's problems, uh, ex-Gazprom. I mean, they got away with, thankfully, got away with it last winter, was very mild. Maybe we'll get that again. But if you get a meaningful winter, natural gas prices are going to shoot up. And that's why one of the stocks we don't talk too much about is Chenier. That's why that's rallied nicely recently is the uptick on uh, natural gas. I think it's going to continue. Interesting stuff. Well, coming up next, Mike Santoli is going to join us with his midday word. Halftime will be right back. Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Mike, when you look at the major averages, things look a little muted, but you say, yeah. ah, na ba well, that's a fast court. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, it does definitely look like a bit of a sell-the-news response. S&P is about flat. It was up nicely earlier, but uh, it's mostly, I think, just because of the NVIDIA, the Tesla, the Broadcom, the big growth names that are giving some back. If three to one up versus down uh, volume on the stock, New York Stock Exchange, small caps up 1.2 percent, banks up 2 percent. So I, I think the macro message from the data we got this morning is still a positive one. It's a comfortable spot for decent growth with decelerating labor tightness. I guess the question is where the pendulum is headed from here. Um, I don't know that we've determined that. Uh, the bonds threatened to actually spoil things as well because you did get the 10-year up toward 4.2 again. So that has been a, a spot where, where equities have had to stop and wait and pause and pull back a little bit, but uh, still short of that at the moment. Jim? Mike, you know, I, I think about the small caps a lot. It's a great risk barometer. They got absolutely shellacked in yeah. August. Um, what do you think they're going to do in September? I mean, if you get the yeah. seasonality, do they get hit harder than most? Probably. But, um, but again, it's, it seems like, first of all, the seasonality question I think is fascinating because I don't recall as much fixation on it as hmm. we've had recently. And partly it's because it's worked so well this year. I mean, you know, right on cue, August becomes uh, the occasion for a pullback after a good rally. A lot of the data showing when you're up 10 plus percent going into September, September sometimes isn't as weak. But, yeah, I do think that they they don't have a get out of jail free card uh, just because of the the sector mix and uh, and all the rest, even though much cheaper. But they've been much cheaper for a really long time. 
than the big caps. Mike, what do you make of the energy move? I'm sorry. I'm no, no, that's okay. Right. That right. <laughs> you can answer it short. You were going to answer that, ask him that? I wasn't going to answer it. I was going to ask that a, I was going <laughs> to ask a different question. What do you think of that, that dichotomy between short-term momentum improving and medium-term yeah. momentum breaking down for the first time since November of 22? Right. I mean, it's an in-between spot, and I think it does mean that the market has more to prove. Uh, in the in the short term, because you you did really see, you know, I keep saying if we get out of this with a five percent pullback, that's that's a, a huge win. It's about the most benign possible. But we're not out of it. <laughs> but we're mo- we're not necessarily out of it. We right. have to obviously decide. Um, I don't know, you know, how that relationship is going to play together. But you know, uh, when it comes to the energy move, it's obviously a rotation beneficiary. It has been all year, and so it's got like cyclical plus got under owned a little bit. And I think the commodities are in a, a spot where everyone can make some money. Yeah. yeah, Fascinating stuff going into Labor Day weekend. Mike Santoli, thank you very much. Well, coming up next, the committee is ready to grade your trade. To reach us, send us an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com. And we're a month to go until CNBC's delivering Alpha Investor Summit on September 28th. That's in New York. For details, scan the QR code you see right here on your screen or visit cnbcevents.com slash delivering alpha. It's a big, important conference. You don't want to miss it. Halftime, we'll be right back. Welcome back. It's time now for Grade My Trade. For Steph, Lucy in California sold her 60 shares of MasterCard to consolidate in American Express. So grade that trade. I like American Express. I own it. I'm shocked the stock trades under 15 times forward estimates for a company that just posted constant currency build business of 12 percent. They've done a great job on OPEX. They have a good mix in terms of their revenues. Only 20 percent exposed to NII, net interest income. The rest is fees. Uh, And they just posted the U.S. consumer growth of 13 percent, international consumer of 23 percent. So I like this very much. I think it's much cheaper than MasterCard, and I don't think it should be. For Jim, Evelyn in Montana bought Boeing at an average price of 206 bucks. It was your final trade alert earlier this week. So how would you grade this trade? Uh, I think, Evelyn, great job. Uh, please stay with it. I'm certainly staying with it. I bought a lot last year below 200. The fact that it's 220 now just isn't enough for me. I think this is going to go higher. And one of the things Steph and I were just talking about on the break is that China is set to uh, pick up deliveries of the 737 MAX. That's a big deal. There's 100 uh, of those planes in inventory. As they come out, that's going to be free cash flow generating, very positive for the stock. Stick with it. And for Rob, a viewer bought and held Coca-Cola at $54.50 over time. Is it time to cash out and deploy elsewhere? Um, Listen, valuation is going to limit your upside. Uh, From here, it trades pretty expensively. But this is a world-class franchise, premium brand, consistent earnings growth. Margins are among the highest in the staples. It's core in one of our portfolios that we run. And so uh, he's up about 10 percent. Since mm-hmm. since purchase, and uh, you know that's a pretty good trade. I, I think I think I would hold it. We're holding it. Coca Cola Classic is my guilty pleasure. It's always the one. Oh, <laughs> so refreshing. Well, coming up, the dispute between Disney and Charter Communications. It's heating up. Both stocks pulling back. Our Julia Boyston Borston joins us with the latest next. And tune in tonight at six Eastern for Mad Money with Jim Cramer. Jim's finishing out this week's Back to School series, so you don't want to miss it. Halftime is back after this.
Well, Disney shares trading at a three-year low as the company's battle with Spectrum owner Charter intensifies. It's one of the worst Dow performers on the day so far. Julia Borston has the details on the Charter fight. Julia, what's going on now? Well, Courtney, Charter warned this morning that this dispute will negatively impact its financials. And the pressure is on with the company's nearly 15 million video subscribers losing access to 19 different Disney-owned cable channels especially head of college football and the U.S. Open this weekend. Now, Charter says that it's willing to drop ABC, ESPN, and Disney's other channels permanently because Disney is offering them directly to consumers and is demanding higher license fees despite viewership declines. Charter proposing a hybrid linear digital partnership in which Disney allows them to offer its ad-supported direct-to-consumer apps as part of their linear TV packages, also asking for more flexibility. Disney's saying, quote, the rates and terms we are seeing in this renewal are driven by the mar- seeking in this renewal are driven by the marker- marketplace. Now, JP Morgan saying that they see this dispute as a negative for Disney, less negative for Charter, neutral in the short term for other video content players, but bad long term, and a positive for competitive pure play video offers like Fubo and Hulu Live YouTube TV, as well as a small positive for integrated fiber video offers like AT&T. Now, they say they continue to be overweight charter as well as for as Disney, but that this does add to Disney's near term issues. Meanwhile, Rosenblatt's Barton Crockett writing, quote, an extended fight with charter might accelerate Disney's direct to consumer plans and the pressure on the pay TV ecosystem overall. Now, all of this is going to be closely watched as a bellwether for future negotiations, not just for Disney, but for the whole media landscape. Courtney. Always a lot going on with Disney. Here's another wrinkle. Julia, thank you so much. Jim, I understand you own Disney. It's not trading at lows not seen since March 2020. You want to add more? No. Why? Um, Because there's a lot of hair on this. I'd like to see some things happen. And I've said this, you know, I'd like to see the Hulu deal. And and I understand uh, Bob Iger and company have to take time to get that deal right. But I'd like to see that in the rearview mirror. I'd like to see the dividend reinstated before I commit more capital. Courtney, there are stocks that when they go down, I mentioned Boeing earlier, right? Last year was a terrible year for Boeing, below $200. I added plenty of shares. The fact that I'm not doing so right now in Disney is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a tell here. Um, I want to give some, give them some time. I mean, it trades at 17 times next year's earnings, which is not too terrible. As far as the news today, it's hardly a surprise to anyone that linear TV is under pressure. So this doesn't really add any new news. I think there could be positive catalysts out there. I mentioned them, but I need to see them come to fruition. The one thing I do want to mention is I don't see how this isn't disastrous for Charter. Mm-hmm. I mean, those 15 million video subscribers now have even more reason to cut the cord. That is true. It is very, very frustrating being a consumer on the end of one of these fights. Stephanie, you own Disney before. You don't hear. I'll ask you the same question. If it's at lows since not seen since March 2020, you want to get in? No. I think <laughs> I, I do like turnaround stories very much, and I think Bob Iger is the guy to get it done. I just think it's going to take a really long time. And in the meantime, they, ha- they are cutting costs, about $5.5 billion in, co- in cost cuts, but they're also cutting content in a very competitive space where they're going to lose ground, I think, to Netflix and others. So to me, I don't think it's cheap enough, and I just think this is going to be a couple of years in the making in terms of the turn, and I just think there are better places in consumer to, to be Got it. Well, coming up, final trades. It's already time for that. They're coming from the committee. Halftime is back in two. Stick with us. for final trades. Rob, you're up first. 
So Broadcom, uh, it's on sale today. This AI is real, and I think you can buy it cheap. Jim. Cleveland Cliffs, probably no surprise. We talked about it earlier. What we didn't talk about is the U.S. Steel acquisition, or at least not much. I think there's going to be news coming out in September on that, and you want to just position yourself now for it. And Steph, take us home. 3M, uh, they are in the process of cleaning up their class action lawsuits, and you still have zero buys from the sell side on this stock, and I think you're going to be able to focus on fundamentals, and the stock is cheap. Well, that does it for halftime as the markets are just marginally mixed with the NASDAQ down ever so slightly, S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average up just a bit. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB, serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections. Some fatal have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one. 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.